You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, welcome to the show. This is your host, Lauren Lee Chen. With just over a month left before the beginning of the NBA season, teams and fans are excited to see how all the trades, free agent signings, draft picks, and off-season player development they've seen will translate onto the court. One of the most active teams this offseason has been the Memphis Grizzlies, and to help us break down all of their deals and prognosticate how they'll stack up for the upcoming season, we have Keith Parrish here with us today. You may know Keith from his work as the host of the Fast Break Breakfast podcast and also the host of Grits and Grinds. What you may not know about Keith is that he plays piano accompaniment for musical theater and for the country music fans out there, also appeared in the music video for Billy Currington's Pretty Good at Drinking Beer. Well, Keith himself is pretty good at talking about the Grizzlies, so without further ado, let's bring him in. Hey, Keith, it's great to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Hey, Lauren. Happy to be here. Yeah, and there's a lot to go through for the Grizzlies this offseason. I think possibly the most active team in terms of transactions in the NBA. Have you been holding up? Pretty good. Yeah, I think you're right. The sheer number of transactions, I feel like I've actually, I want to look this up. I'm not sure how, if I just have to Google like, or just search through Twitter. I feel like there's been more Grizzlies Woj bombs this summer than maybe like the five previous summers combined. There's been like eight trades. Yeah. And they got started off early too. We'll get into the cascade of trades that this first move kicked off. But the first one that shocked a lot of fans was trading away what I would call fan favorite, Jonas Valanciunas. Since joining the Grizzlies, he had been one of the most consistently dependable players on the team. Uh, Last season was third on the team with 17.1 points per game, just a shade behind Dylan Brooks, who had 17.2, along with the team leading 12.5 rebounds per game. Actually led the team in win shares last season, surprisingly. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the impact that Jonas had for the team during his relatively brief tenure with the Grizzlies and why it seemed like so many fans were sad to see him go? Well, he's a very lovable player. He's a very funny player when you hear him in post-game interviews. And he puts up monster numbers and points are intoxicating as NBA fans. And so when you, when you score a lot of points and you're kind of a funny guy, lighthearted guy, big bruiser, you know, become very popular. And the trade I think was met with some surprise, but unlike my Grizzly show grits and grinds, I'd been like pitching it beforehand. Like it would make sense to trade Jonas Valanciunas this year. And a lot of fans forget two years ago at the end of the 2019, 2020 season, in the bubble in Orlando, before Jaron Jackson Jr. got injured, Jonas Valanciunas wasn't playing fourth quarters. Like he mm-hmm. he had been kind of been, they were phasing him out. And it's like, listen, Brandon Clark's the future. Jaron Jackson Jr.'s the future. These are the lineups they want to be using with the front court. So it was perceived that Valanciunas was kind of like a, a bridge. You know, we traded Marcus Hall for him, and then he was going to be this bridge into the future where, where eventually Jaron Jackson Jr. maybe bulked up enough play the five but then last season you know jaron misses 
essentially the whole year. And the Grizzlies are competitive and good. And he's putting up these career high numbers. He sets the Grizzlies team record for rebounds per game in a season. And everyone's like, this is one of our building blocks. This is one of our big pieces. And I think because he's going into the last year of a contract, like the front office, I don't think ever thought like this is a long-term piece, like the ideal form of Jaron and jaw together probably doesn't include Jonas at the five. So when they had an opportunity to move him to pick up a future first round pick and to move up in the draft to get the guy they wanted, they, they, they jumped at it. And so I do understand how it was shocking to a lot of people. And a lot of people also think the Grizzlies are getting worse by making this move. But I think it makes a lot of sense. And I've kind of been, I was in favor of it from the start, basically. Like I thought it made a good deal of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what you said about him being a bridge, and now they're more focusing on, you see it with uh, a lot of the moves that they made subsequently on their younger players, especially around John Morant's timeline. Uh, going through the cascade of trades, again, that that one kicked off around the same time they traded Grayson Allen for Sam Merrill. In general, with these, I'll, I'll skip over the draft considerations that swapped hands, or else we might be here all day. But as we said, Jonas Valanciunas and the draft picks that became BJ Boston and Trey Murphy outgoing, they get back Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe. Zaire Williams and Jared Butler. Jared Butler immediately gets turned into Santi Aldama, who we'll probably touch upon in more detail a little bit later in the episode. But a couple episodes ago on our show, in our draft recap episode, we had on draft expert Brian Schroeder. And Brian actually picked Santi Aldama as the guy that he's excited to see next season and he who he's higher on then than a lot of other experts. Um, a little bit later... They trade Eric Bledsoe to the Clippers for Patrick Beverly, Daniel Otoro, and Rajon Rondo. Patrick Beverly then gets moved on to the Timberwolves for Jared Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez. Rondo then waived. And then just recently, Juancho Hernan Gomez moved to the Celtics for Chris Dunn and Carson Edwards. First of all, I mean, did I miss anything? Did you follow all of that? Do you well, I, I kind of, <laughs> I, th- I I'm going to trust you said it all. I kind of zoned out a little bit when it was, uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, you, you said it all. I, I giggled a little bit. I watched Santi Aldama play at summer league with Brian Schroeder one game. Mm-hmm. And I was just dying. Like this is, this is one of the worst players out here. And, and Brian, <laughs> very optimistic, you know, was saying he's adjusting from being like the man at like a lower tier NCAA conference and the man for like the under 18 Spanish national team. And there's going to be a big learning curve, but he says like, he's excited to watch him. He's not going to play this year. He's not, there's no, he's not going to play any minutes uh, for the Grizzlies. I'd be pretty surprised. Um, You know, he'll play on the hustle possibly Mm -hmm. the summary, like the piece by piece summary, as far as the cascading uh, deals, as you call it, mm-hmm. I think now that we have the full picture, and I think we have the full picture. I don't think there's more to it. There's no reason to even judge like the Bledsoe for Beverly, right. Aturo, and Rondo because it's all moving pieces. I think the big overarching thing to keep in mind for everyone is the Grizzlies traded Jonas Valanciunas and their draft picks this year mm-hmm. for you know moving up to get Zaire Williams. And then they got Steven Adams, Jarrett Culver, Chris Dunn. I'm I'm guessing those guys might stick around. And then the Lakers first round pick for next year they got from the Pelicans. So they did all those things to get Steven Adams, 
you know, a, a shot at Culver Dunn, move up to get Zaire Williams and pick up the 2022 Lakers first. So I, again, I think that it makes a good deal of sense. The other one, the other small piece you mentioned, the Grayson Allen for Sam Merrill, that again was just for me, that was moving a guy out. They didn't want to give a new contract to because they had such a glut of players on the wing and that's creating more opportunity, hopefully next season for D'Anthony Melton and Desmond Bain to play. So that was a nice bit of business. It's a good bit of business from the Bucks. I think replacing Bryn Forbes basically for cheap and bringing Grayson Allen in a guy who's proven he can play, you know, decent minutes, soak up some minutes in the regular season. And then for the Grizzlies to get off a guy on an expiring contract, bring in uh, a couple of second round picks, replacing the ones they sent out to move up from 40 to 30 to get Santi Aldama. And so I, I was, I was ecstatic about that deal because one of my off season priorities for the Grizzlies was just basically to get rid of Grayson Allen so he wouldn't be standing in the way of DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain getting playing time. Just curious, on your own show, Crits and Grinds, how did it feel making a breakdown podcast episode after each deal only to see the incoming player then sent out? Like, if it, well, I mean, for pod, for podcasting, when you do it, you know, like multiple times a week, it's great for business. It's you know? content. Right? <laughs> it's content. Yeah. It's something to talk about. I think each one, I don't think any of them... I got too like focused on the big deal because all of them, it was emphasizing, guys, this is not about the player. This is mm -hmm. about the salary. This could be literally anyone. They keep trading these things for the salary. Like a, a lot of them were pretty easy when it first started. Like when the Clippers trade happened, it's like Rondo will never be a Grizzly. Patrick Beverly, probably not a Grizzly because we know they did not trade for the player, Patrick Beverly. They traded for the $13 million of his salary to be able to match these things. And that's in each step of the way, it was like, oh, we're getting Culver and Hernan Gomez. And it's like, I don't think they're that interested in Culver, guys. Like we have, we have Dylan Brooks and Desmond mm -hmm. Bain and D'Anthony Melton and Zaire Williams. All four of those guys, I want to play minutes over Jarrett Culver. They're not like, maybe they're taking a flyer on Jarrett Culver it's more about the salary. So for each one, it was like, what's going to be next? And then you're trying to guess like Chris mm -hmm. Dunn is Chris Dunn. Could he make the roster? What would a second unit look like with Chris Dunn? But then they could definitely trade Chris Dunn or wave Chris Dunn in like the next month. And it'd be like, Oh, well, you know, we, all that analysis for nothing. Yeah. As you said, you know, when you take it in all in all, not just going move by move and compare the outgoing and incoming from last end of last season to beginning of this season, Ultimately, it's not that much that is different, but with all of those changes, assuming we're done wheeling and dealing for this offseason, but maybe not, how do you expect the rotations to shake out by the start of next season? That's the that's the big mystery. You say like, you know, they didn't change that much. They essentially have like nine of the same players they've had for the past two seasons before this, but they did lose two guys in Valanciunas and Grayson Allen that were the regular starters. So like that is going to be a, a big shift. And then you're, you're getting Jaron Jackson Jr. Back after again, basically a lost season last year. Um, I don't honestly know what the rotations are going to be. My best educated guess would be they're going to, you know, they're obviously starting John Morant and Dylan Brooks. Mm -hmm. And then I would say they're either going to play Kyle Anderson at the three. Kyle Anderson had an incredible year last year, was the glue guy, the utility man, does everything, post, posted career highs in a lot of categories. Like maybe he'll play at the three with Jaron at the four and Steven Adams at the five. And then that would leave your second unit with probably Tyus Jones, Desmond Bay, and DeAnthony Melton. Then Brandon Clark probably at the four and Xavier Tillman at the five. That leaves Zaire Williams out of the rotation totally, like a 10-man rotation. 
Um, it's possible they don't play like Brandon Clark and maybe they have Zyra Williams on the bench. It might make sense to, to move Kyle Anderson into a sixth man role because he can essentially play the four and maybe that's his best spot. And then you would start probably Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain on the wing with Jaron and Steven Adams as your front court. And then again, I don't know what that means for the second unit. Is it Tyus, D'Anthony Melton, plus Zaire Williams now? Maybe you play him at the three, Kyle at the four, and then you have to choose between Brandon Clark and Xavier Chillman. I think it's going to look roughly like that. Like those are, I think those are basically the two options. I also think there's a non-zero chance like Steven Adams doesn't play mm-hmm. or something. I mean, I think Steven Adams can be good for this team. He had a really rough year last year on uh, New Orleans, but if he can return to form like he showed the season before that in Oklahoma City, he'd be a, an asset for the team. And also, he's, he's a great rebounder, great screener, great defender. I think he could fit really well alongside Jaron Jackson Jr. in a front court. And I don't think the Grizzlies are going to take a big step back because I do think, you know, even if Adams isn't a big part of the plans, just opening up more time for Xavier Tillman, who came on really strong last season, and then Brandon Clark, I I think this team is going to be uh, competitive once again. For Jaron Jackson Jr., you called last season somewhat of a, essentially a lost season for him, Taurus meniscus while they were playing in the bubble. He was able to come back at the end of last season, though still playing very limited minutes, sitting out some games. Do you have any thoughts on or updates on his progress through this season? Do you expect him to be pretty much all the way back by the start of next season? And also, I guess, do you worry about that injury affecting his progress long term? I don't worry about the specific injury that he was recovering from, that torn meniscus. I do generally, I think a lot of Grizzlies fans just worry about his health overall because he's been banged up a little bit. There's an argument that maybe his rookie year, they held him out kind of a little bit extra because they were tanking, like maybe he was healthy enough to play. But we've now had three seasons where they've been affected by injury. And, you know, last year, it was a lost year. He was not good when he played. Like they, they put him back in the lineup for the final 11 games. He only ended up starting four games and he was bad. Like he, he couldn't find his shot on the three pointers in the postseason when he played. He, he started showing a little bit more of like the Jaron Jackson Jr. we expected, but still, it was not great by any stretch. This is a guy most people were just extremely optimistic about after his second season. He averaged 17 points per game in the bubble right before he got hurt. It looked like he'd even taken a leap. You know, you saw these second year guys who had several months off because of the COVID stoppage of the season. And then he came back in the bubble and he's scoring 25 points per game. And we're like, all right, this is what we hoped for. Like he showed all these offensive tools. And now it looked like he was beating guys off the dribble to add with that like 40% three-point stroke on high volume. But then last year, again, we never saw it. We thought he was going to come back way earlier. It it ended up stretching throughout the whole season. And then when he came back, he wasn't that good. So if Jaron Jackson Jr. is back, and there's no reason he shouldn't be totally healthy. He's been working out off-season as far as I've heard. Like There's no limitations or anything with him doing off-season programs and going into the preseason and training camp. If he's back to that like 17, 18 point per game score, I think, you know, I think people are going to remember why they were so in love with him. And, you know, I think he's kind of, I guess when a guy doesn't play very much, he kind of falls out of the national consciousness Mm -hmm. in the conversation. And I think if Jaron struggles, then you're going to really feel the pain of trading away Jonas Valanciunas and the Grizzlies will be worse. There's a lot riding on Jaron Jackson Jr. But, you know, outside of, uh, someone who knows his his medical history very closely and is a doctor, I, I think we, we might as well be optimistic that we're going to see the Jaren that we saw, uh, you know, his first two years. Last season, 
Memphis were eliminated in the first round of the playoffs against the Jazz in five games. But if people didn't already somehow know about Ja Morant as an up-and-coming star in this league, he had a major coming-out party in that series, averaged over 30 points per game, including 47 points in Game 2. Really promising after his rookie season, took his play to another level in Year 2. But now with Year 3 coming up, what do you think needs to happen for him to continue that upward ascension to possibly secure his first all-star berth in a crowded West guard lineup or otherwise sort of take his position among the elite guards in this league? I think as, as long as he makes incremental progress and everything, he's going to be there. I think he was right on the cusp. I think there's a strong argument that he could have been named a replacement all-star over Mike Conley. I certainly made that argument. I know the Jazz had the number one record in the league at that point, but like Ja was the Grizzlies essentially. And we've seen it now in the postseason last year and in the play in the play in games in, in both of his first two years, this guy scores 30 points per game when it matters. And it's a very interesting thing where you don't know if it's just hasn't been random matchups that he's scored that much, but this is a guy in, in the regular season, you know, he's been averaging about 17 points per game. He, he normally turns it on a lot in the fourth quarter. He looks for his shot a little bit more. Uh, but then when you, when you got to these play in games, you see him scoring over 30 points, over 40 points a lot. And so I guess a question for Grizzlies fans is like, is that something he needs to do more? Does he need to be more aggressive? Does he need to take on more of the offensive load? Like Dylan Brooks still leads the team in shots and you still have guys like Jonas last year taking a lot of shots. And like, what would that look like? Was part of the trade of Jonas Valanciunas, the front office wanting to force the offensive load to go more to jaw do they want to go more to jaw and jaron do they want to say those guys we want them to shoot you know um Jonas is a great floor raiser for a team he's a great safety blanket like their best offense going on the stretch of last season was honestly like in the half court it was to just miss a shot and let Jonas get the offensive rebound like he was averaging something like seven second chance points per game somewhere around there like it was a lot like they kept missing shots he would get the rebounds put it back in and so there is some thought that maybe the front office was like Let's get Jonas out of here. Let's get rid of, let's take the training wheels off. Let's force, you know, let, let's, let's force these guys to do a little bit more and see if they can hang on their own. But like to, to your question about Ja, you can highlight the shooting, which is obvious. Everyone says, you know, if everyone can keep going under him on screens, that that's going to be a weakness he has to address. You saw his three point percentage go up a lot. The final 25 games of the year, he got closer to 40% from three, even though still in a very small volume. But I just think if he continues to just get a little bit stronger and just improve incrementally like guys normally do, he's definitely going to be, you know, I think he's, if not in conversation, you know, would be named to the All-Star game this year. One thing that you touched upon, he, if you compare averages from the 2021 season to the his rookie season, he did have a slight dip in his shooting percentages. I think a lot of that in the beginning of the year, he wasn't shooting as well as we would have expected from him. I know he, he did miss a couple weeks with an ankle injury that might have played a role. Also, you know, natural progression, maybe he was taking on a larger offensive role. And as you said, over the last 25 games of the season, he did bring that percentage up. A lot of it was just the three-point shooting. I know, like his two-point field goal percentage, his rookie year was fifty-one percent. Last year was fifty percent. It's like, mm-hmm. eh, it's like the same thing. Um, right. The first, I can't remember what it was, but it, you know, we're so far removed from last season. I used to have these stats off the top of my head. It was something like the first forty-five or fifty games, he was shooting twenty percent from three. 
And he was shooting more three-pointers per game this year, closer to four per game when he only shot, you know, a little under three per game his first year. So I think most of that is just breaking three-pointers. And I, I, I do, you know, I, I, I'm not looking at the whatever his floater percentage was, but like may, maybe that was just a natural um, change that you would see. I don't think it had anything to do with him getting worse or, or shooting better than you would have expected. I mean, he might have made more three-pointers than you expected his rookie year, but I'm not concerned about the scoring. Again, Like it seems like whenever there's a big game, he ends up scoring 30, 35 points. And so, no, I, I don't have concerns there. Like Not like a guy like Brandon Clark, where mm-hmm. all his numbers took a weird dive. We were like, oh, your, your dunks went down. Your, your free throws went down. Your threes went down. Like That's not great. But no, I don't, I don't have any shooting concerns for Jaw. Stay tuned for more show after the break. The first Sunday of the NFL season is here, and the excitement continues with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. DraftKings is giving all new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Bet just $1 on any football game this weekend and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet at least $1 on any football game. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code TBPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, NJIN or PA only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hi, this is Kelly Dwyer, and please remember this week to download and listen to On the NBA Beat. The other guy that you've mentioned is Dylan Brooks, who I think you said he led the team in shots last season. Yeah. Every season, Lauren. (laughs) Yeah, but that's it's kind of interesting to look at it. He's like an interesting player. He has a lot of volume for the Grizzlies, but is definitely very streaky at times, especially scoring more so than you'd like from your number two scorer on your team. Nine single-digit scoring performances in his 67 games, which is not what you like to see, but he's another guy that turned it on in the playoffs, I think averaging about 25 points per game. Yeah. Another interesting thing that I saw when just looking over his game log from last year is that he he seemed to get in foul trouble a lot more than you'd expect from your typical guard forward uh he fouled out six times five fouls 15 times he's the uh here's a stat for you he's the first perimeter player to lead the nba in total fouls in consecutive seasons i believe ever i believe he's the first like since uh it's like wow. since the merger, um, <laughs> it's like maybe it went back to that. I can't remember. It's at least 40 or 50 years. That was one of the stats I always was throwing out on Twitter because he, he led the NBA in fouls per game, not fouls per game, in total fouls uh, mm-hmm. last two years ago. And then I was tracking it all year. Like, we got to win it again. We got to win it again. And he won it again. Yeah, he's a bizarre, unique player. And he proved he proved this season that he is an unbelievable defender. Like he's an actual lockdown great defender. And if you watch that first round series against the Jazz, you saw it. Despite, you know, Conley Bogdanovich had some games, but like 
they were struggling with him. And then you had the play-in game. You had down the stretch, he really held Luka Doncic to a terrible game. He shut down DeMar DeRozan. Like, Dylan hit this kind of, he hit his stride as a defender, which is what everyone was hoping for. As far as like the streaky shooting, unbelievably streaky, you know, 25.8 points per game against the Jazz, but he also had a solid calendar year from like March of 2019 to March of 2020, where it's like he was he was basically sub 40% on field goals, under 30% on threes. I think the answer is you don't want him to be your number two scorer. Mm-hmm. Like he's been playing above his head because there's been no one else. He's the best guy at creating his shot in the half court, and that's a problem of roster construction. Ja is not that great in the half court yet. Everyone else, it was like, all right, do we post up Jonas Valanciunas or just basically let someone miss the shot and hope Jonas gets the rebound? Like, they don't have any half court creators. There's some hope that Jaron can create off the dribble a little bit and get a mismatch playing against a big guy. And then they're, they're searching, like a lot of NBA teams. They're searching for, we need someone who can create good looks, you know, in half court basketball. And it's something that's hard to find in the NBA. And Dylan is such a competitor. And he truly does love shooting where he's been like in, 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 you know, in a vacuum, he's like, all right, guys, I'll I'll take it. If no one else will shoot, I will definitely keep shooting. And it leads to some very terrible shooting nights. But also I think we, we've seen the flashes, especially like the end of the year where he actually was quite good. And it kind of makes us reassess like, wait, what's his ceiling again? I thought his ceiling was like fourth, fifth starter, maybe best served as a sixth man to now you're like, well, if you're that good at defense, you're probably you're definitely a starter because you need to be checking the other player, the other team's best player. And if he can consistently, you know, score 18 points per game, if he can make 44% of his shots as opposed to 40% of his shots, then you have like a very, very good NBA player. You know, it's funny. You cited the stat about him leading the league in total fouls for the last two seasons. In prepping for this episode, I actually saw that on his basketball reference page, and I could not believe it. Like I thought I was misunderstanding how they were calculating that side. I was like, that, that can't be right. Maybe it's by position or something like that. <laughs> no, um, no, no. But anyways, as we've talked about, there are a lot of other young players on this team who we expect to see growth from increased reliance on. One guy I want to talk about again is last year's rookie, 38th overall pick Desmond Bain. He, I think, went under the radar during his rookie season when you talk about like general NBA coverage, but he exceeded expectations that a lot of people had for him, especially three-point percentage. He was hitting 43% plus on four plus attempts per game. He was an older rookie, four years at TCU. So that's part of it. But especially, I think, with moving on from Grayson Allen, do you expect more from him for this coming season? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, I think his his minutes per game tick up a little bit and his three-pointers per game. I think if there was one criticism for Desmond Bain, it's he needs to shoot more. Like, maybe, you know, you see that really high three-point percentage. He finished in the top 20 among all NBA players, you know, in three-point percentage, which is incredible production, you know, from the 30th pick in the draft. But, like, I guess the hope this season is, you know, can he step up? Can he be a starter? Is he is he good enough to be a starter? Like, he didn't look great playing against, you know, other teams first units usually uh and like so can he make that progression from year one to year two um be a steadier defender he was kind of loose with the ball i think the adjustment to the nba which is would for any rookie you know was was took him a second but his shot was there all year and then at the end of the year and then he carried that into summer league he started handling the ball a little bit more feeling some more confidence and i think yeah i think his role is going to increase and then i think d'anthony melton's role is going to increase those guys are basically the same age uh melton Mm -hmm. and 
Bain, even though Melton's been in the league now for three years. Like, I am so excited about Anthony Melton. Like, if we can get his minutes per game up from like 20 minutes per game to, I would love to see something closer to 25 or more. I, I think that the Grizzlies are not going to take a step back at all. But yeah, Bain's an interesting guy. Like, why in the world did the Celtics, and I know why the Celtics didn't want him because they had too many guys on their roster. But it's like, this is one of those guys that every team's looking for. Every NBA team wants shooting, and they want shooting from a guy who can defend his position or defend his size up even. And while he has like a limited height and like wingspan, he's strong enough to hang with, you know, twos and then sometimes can guard some threes. And just getting that as a rotation piece to complement job in the next few seasons is just a great win for the front office. And then for the rookies coming in for next season, I know you already said that you don't really expect Aldama to be getting any sort of minutes for the Grizzlies. But for Zaire Williams, 10th overall pick, he had one season at Stanford somewhat regarded as disappointing. Do you expect him to be able to, over the course of the season, get some real minutes and crack the rotation? I don't honestly know. I mean, my knowledge of Zaire Williams is very limited. I, I don't really watch college prospects. So I never saw him play a basketball game until summer league. And then at summer league, you're like, all right, that's an athletic, very, very young guy who's very, very skinny. And the Grizzlies do have a loaded roster as far as competent players who you're comfortable playing and guys who expect minutes. And even though they're probably a fringe playoff team where they're still going to be competing for like that play in range, will the coaching staff work him in? Like, is it a priority this season to, we need to get him some minutes. We need to find out exactly what we have. And that's like the balancing act. This team has been trying to do the last couple of seasons. I think so far they've been very successful at it as far as we want to be competitive by all, but also be building toward a point where we are a contender, where we have sustained success and possibly going to be a contender. And I think they've done that. They've picked up future first round picks from people. They've, acquired this roster that's unbelievably young. Do they only have three guys over 25 on the whole team and to make the playoffs last year and probably to compete for the playoffs this year with like that young of a roster is impressive. But as far as the next step, we highlight like, is it, is the next step Zaire Williams? Is it trading away Valanciunas to move up in the draft? hoping this guy becomes like the wing with size who can play alongside jaw and Jaron. And it's a pretty big swing and it's a pretty, it's kind of a big risk. Like, I've been talking a lot about how if Zaire is bad, which is a, a, a reasonable result for the 10th pick in the draft, like you don't know if he's going to be good or not. Mm -hmm. And so they've invested so much capital and time and like this guy needs to be the player that hit. They, they've foregone free agency the last two years. Two years ago, they were like, you know what? We're going to trade for Justice Winslow and have the dead money of Dion Waiters and that's going to be quote unquote our free agency. Well, Justice Winslow didn't work out. And now this season, they did the same thing by... Part of the reason they were able to move up in that trade is they took on Bledsoe's salary and that filled up, again, the Grizzlies' salary cap space. And they said, all right, we're going to use basically our salary cap space instead of trying to sign a free agent who can help our team for years to come. We're going to hope that Zaire Williams turns out and is good. So we're going we're to reach up in the draft and get this young guy who we think has high potential. Well, if it doesn't pan out, then we've suddenly hit, we're now in year four of Ja or in year five of Jaron are we still the eight seed? Are we still the nine seed, the 10 seed? Like what's our, what's our path forward now that we're paying Jaron's on some extension, I assume. And like jaws eventually going to be paid a max. Cause that's just how it works in the NBA. Um, even if he never comes an all-star player, he's, he's good enough now where, you know, he's going to get a max. And so it's a little bit of a risk and that's a very long, um, answer to is Zyre going to play the answer, the short answer being, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as you said, it's a balancing act for, 
a team that's in Memphis's position who probably has a t- talent to be a middle tier fight for the playoffs type of team, but also has to think about bringing along their younger players and uh, getting them experience as well. With that in mind, what would you say your expectations and aspirations, I guess, for next season in terms of where you expect them to land in the Western Conference and also both in terms of record and player development, if there's any specific goals that you'd like to see them hit for you to call it a successful season for them? Well, my expectations about where they're going to end up, I would be surprised if they were much worse than like ninth or 10th. Like I, th- I think that would be kind of surprising. I mean, I know the the Warriors want to be good again, and they think they're, they're definitely top eight. The Pelicans want to bounce back with Zion Williamson. And then you have, you know, you have a lot of teams that have a lot of optimism, always. The offseason optimism, like can the Timberwolves get it together? Can the Kings get it together? But I think the Grizzlies are still going to be there as long as they stay healthy. Because like I don't think the loss of Jonas is that big of a deal because you're getting Jaron back and Xavier Tillman was so good that I think he can step in. I think Steven Adams is, is a fine player. They were the they were seventh in defense last year, and they replaced their two worst defenders. Like they got rid of Grayson Allen and Jonas Valanciunas. Like and now replacing them with if it's Melton or if it's Bain and then Steven Adams on the inside, or if it's even one of these guys, like if Chris Dunn makes the roster, like if you're just adding more defenders. So like this team honestly could be amazing at defense next year. Offense is always going to be the question. I would expect them regular season to have similar success to be like close to 500 and, you know, fighting for that eight seed. But like what makes a successful season? I think you have to answer a lot of questions about Jaron Jackson Jr., is he going to be like your 1B or your second star next to John Moran? That was the expectation after two years. And now like, you have to know, like, is this someone we can build with? Can we start spending money? Can we start trading future first-round picks? The Grizzlies have all their own first-round picks, and then they have three extras you know, in the next few seasons. If Jaron Jackson Jr. becomes like a near all-star or if he becomes just like a solid you know, 18 to 20 point per game scorer, where you're like, yes, that's that's a guy we can keep in the front court. Then I think you have the freedom to say, you know, we can now trade away some future picks. We also need to find out like if Zaire Williams is any good. But like if you have Dylan Brooks, you're comfortable with as a starter. You have Jaw. You have Jaron. I think if you answer those questions, then you can say, all right, we need to trade to get somebody else in here, or we need to try to get another like a third. I don't know if star is the word. Ideally, you find someone who's better than one of Jaw or Jaron, and that's the path to the Grizzlies becoming, you know, like a home court advantage playoff team and maybe competing for a title in, in one of those fringe contenders like the Suns or the Jazz or a team you figure, you know, you want five or six teams who can win the title. I think that's the long term vision. Um, so I would say, as long as you get some answers and some clarity about the young guys on your roster, if you identify like which ones we're going to use going forward, I don't know if you have to pick between Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark. But if those guys keep getting better, if you find out, hey, guess what? Anthony Melton actually is awesome uh, when he has a larger role. That's a guy we can depend on. Desmond Bain, if he takes another leap and you say, listen, that's a that's a guy who can be a sixth man, a seventh man on a, a title-winning team, I think that would be a successful season. So I think you, you just want to you want to gain as much information as you can about the young guys and then, based on that, have a plan for what you know year four of Jaws can look like and how you're going to use your resources and assets to bring in maybe another even better player and then really go for it um, once Jaw heads into his extension. This will be the last question for us and we're going to close out on an off-the-court 
type of question. And thank you for spending so much time with us again. Recently, the team announced that they're going to retire their first two jerseys in franchise history this season. December 11th against the Rockets, they're going to retire Zach Randolph's number 50. And then January 28th against the Jazz, they're going to retire Tony Allen's jersey. Can you talk about the franchise-defining legacy for those two guys with the Grit and Grind Grizzlies, how they meant so much to this team, and then also who else you might want to see joining them in the rafters in the near future? Sure. I mean, the team already has already stated they will eventually retire Mark Gasol and Mike Conley's as well. They at one point, you know, mentioned the whole, they call them the core four that, mm-hmm. that Mike and Mark and Zach and Tony, they're all going to have their jerseys retired with, you know, Zebo and Tony Allen out of the league now for a few seasons. It was the right time to have those ceremonies. I mean, they, they meant, they just meant a ton to the city and the franchise. There's something about those guys, both Zach and Tony, but they were slightly underdogs. And I mean, Tony wasn't like a cast off. He's like, no one cared about him that much when the Grizzlies signed him as a free agent. But like Zach Randolph was almost a laughing stock when he ended up in Memphis. He'd had some terrible stops where he scored a bunch of points on some terrible teams. Like he'd been on the Clippers and on the Knicks and it was viewed in kind of this like, that is not a serious player. And then he came to the Grizzlies. And this is a franchise that had never won a playoff game before those guys showed up. They'd had 15 years. They made the playoffs three times. They'd been swept each time. And all of a sudden, I don't know, it was like lightning in a bottle where Tony Allen had this just magic when he was on the court where he caused everything just to become hectic. And he disrupted games. And he was the mouthpiece for the team and like kind of the emotional leader. And then Zebo was just this bully. And maybe there, and there's some of that where like, Memphis blue collar town identifies with this guy, rough, rugged, you know, kind of limited physically, but was just beating up on guys. And the team started winning. They had a sustained success, you know, along with Mike and Mark, they made the playoffs seven straight years. They were one of the, you know, one of like the five best teams in the NBA for about three years in a row there. And I think they really put the Grizzlies on the map nationally where they became like a respected franchise. Like that team is good. They know what they're doing. And so I think because of that, yeah, they just really captured the soul of the city and people fell in love with them. And so for that, like I'm super excited, you know, for Zach and for Tony, like not role players don't normally get their jerseys retired, obviously, but like what, tone him into the city and his role in kind of transforming the team from I mean you could say they're underachieving like bad on the on the court basketball team to the minute he basically got in the game they became like a playoff contender and they made the playoffs and you know I don't know if it's correct to assign so much credit to uh to like Zach and Tony but that's the way the narrative has been written and I I have no issue with it like I love those guys they're, they're two of my favorite basketball players ever Tony Allen's probably my favorite all-time NBA player so I'm thrilled uh both those guys are having the jersey retirements thank you Keith so much for sharing so much expertise about the Grizzlies with us this episode been a pleasure talking to you yeah thanks for having me Lauren a lot of fun Thanks again to Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast and the Grits and Grinds podcast for lending his expertise to the show. And as always, thank you to all of the loyal listeners for tuning in. Your host for this episode was me, Lauren Lee Chen. You can follow our show on Twitter at OnTheNBABeat and me personally at Lauren L. Chen. This episode was produced and edited by both me and Aaron Fishman. You can listen to more episodes and subscribe to the show by searching On the NBA Beat wherever podcasts are found. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated as they really do help more people find the show. On the NBA Beat is part of the Basketball Podcast Network.